that are in the room. Let's get our Bibles out and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be back in 1 Corinthians. We're going to work through 5, 6, and 7 in the second part of the book here. Uh, you can find that on page 1313 in the Pew Bible in front of you. So if you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can just grab that hardback black Bible in the pew in front of you, open to 1313. You'll be at 1 Corinthians 5. This section of the book is going to be entitled Forming Our Family in the Gospel. We spent chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 finding ourselves in the gospel. We talked a lot about identity, and now we're going to talk about the implications of a gospel identity on our relationships as we live together in the body of Christ. So if you have your listening guide, you can get those out. And we'll begin our discussion this morning by understanding that healthy families have core values. Healthy families have core values. In order for a family to be healthy, there's a set of values that guide the way that that family lives, the way that they interact with one another. The values shape the family. Now, every family has a set of values, and healthy families have good values, and your values make your family unique. Not every family has the same set of values, and so uh, as those values sort of permeate through the people in the family, then it sort of creates the identity or the culture within that home or within that family. So, for example, in my family, we have a set of core values. Uh, For example, one of those core values is you always, at all times, respect authority. We're very big in the Carnes household about the respect of authority. Now, we have other core values, like, for example, you will eat the food that's put down before you. That's a core value in my house. If the uh, food comes to the table and it sits down in front of you and you don't like it, you keep that information to yourself. Because there is a certain person at that table that will jack slap the mess out of you if you say anything about the food. (laughs) That's just how it goes. Now, if you don't eat the food that's put before you, it's not the end of the world. Just understand, Operation Starvation just went into effect. There will be no other food eaten until the next day if you don't eat that food. That's just a core value. A core value in our home is that the family always trumps the individual. So we always do what's best for the whole, not the one. Always. That's just a core value. Uh, you know, we, we eat together. That's a core value. Nobody's sitting in one room or over in another room. We sit at the table together and we eat together. Everybody pitches in. That's a core value. What about families that lack core values? What happens to a family that doesn't have healthy core values? They lack the discipline to instill values in their culture. It becomes a very sad situation. You know, you watch the news and you see people who have no regard for authority or no regard for the law. 
And you, you ask yourself, what in the world is going on? Well, what's going on is that they grew up in a scenario where they were taught, they were, it, it's a learned behavior. Listen, all you have to do is talk to some of our school teachers here. We have a whole slew of school teachers in this faith family. Talk to them about some of the atrocious things that they see happening in classrooms on a regular basis. Children who just don't care. Don't care what you say. Don't care. They talk back to their parents. And so what do you think happens when they get to school? They talk back to their teachers. And then when they get done with that, they're going to talk back to whoever else it is in their life. Because those core values weren't set into place. I've heard teachers talk about kids in their classrooms who strike their parents physically. Yeah. Imagine. Children who learn at a young age that if they throw a temper tantrum, they'll eventually get what they want. And so what happens is, is that when life gets difficult, when people begin to ask them for things that they don't want to give or something that they don't like, well, then they throw a temper tantrum. And so they come to school without their homework. And when the teacher says, why don't you have your homework? They're like, because I didn't want to do it. And I don't care whether you like that or not. Because I don't do things I don't want to do because I learned that I don't have to. Because there was a value missing in their family. You see... This idea that if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to inflict pain on you is a value that is learned in the context of community, in the context of a family. It is a core value. Nothing can be more sad than kids growing up with passive fathers who don't have values, who don't enforce values in their homes. They're not in, they, kids that have no example of leadership or structure. Or what could be more sad than mothers who give in to their children's desires because they care more about their kids liking them than they do about what's best for them. It's a sad situation, trust me. When I was growing up, there was a boy that lived in my neighborhood, and he lived in a home that didn't have any values, didn't have any uh, discipline, didn't have any structure. And what he would do is he loved to go uh, you know, of course, he had friends in the neighborhood, but he loved to hang around at their houses because there was more things there, things to do there, things to fun things to do. And so he was always hanging around other people's houses who had structure and had values. And so what would in, what inevitably happen is at some point along the way, they would get in trouble. And so the parents would come out or, you know, and and you know, say, all right, that's it. Enough of this. And the kids 
would have to come inside and go to their room. And then the parents would always say the same thing. Tony, it's time to go home. (laughs) And so I would walk home. And here's what would happen when I walked home. I would walk home and I would think to myself, I'm so glad that I don't have anybody telling me what to do. I'm so glad that I don't have people who are trying to, you know, manage my behavior. I'm so thankful that I don't get in trouble like they do. See, I don't have to go to my room. I'm free. I can do whatever I want to do. That's what I would think. But you see, when the days were over, I would lay in my bed at night and I would wonder, what is it like to have structure? What would it be like to have a dad and a mom who made me do the right thing? And night after night, I would wonder what that would be like. But you see, that little boy doesn't dream about having a a father anymore because when he was 25 years old, he got adopted by the greatest father you could ever imagine. And he has structure. Yeah. And he has discipline in his life. And it, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. And finally, all those years of dreaming and wondering what it would be like finally came true. You see, when you come into a faith family, it's the beauty of the gospel that you don't have to wonder anymore what it would be like to have a father, what it would be like to have a father who's not passive, a father who has structure and, and relationship with you that is healthy and good. See, Jesus takes care of all that because He came to find orphans. In every corner of the world. And adopt them into his family. And to make them his own. And it's that moment. When you realize that he he doesn't say to you. What everyone else said. You know hey you need to get your act together. Then you can come in. He doesn't say that. He provides everything necessary. To become part of the family, no matter what kind of family you grew up in. And when you come into the family, you have a dad. And not just any dad, but the most amazing dad. The most caring, involved, trustworthy, present, faithful dad ever. He's always there for you. Whenever you need him, he's there. He's not too busy. Working, He's not gone off somewhere. He's always there. And you see, there's a void in every single person's life that can never be filled until they meet this 
dad and become part of his family. So you don't have to dream about what it would be like to be in a family like that anymore. You can just come in. You're welcome here. So let's talk about this family this morning. First thing I want us to see about it, this family is our father has core values for our family. Well, of course he does. And these values distinguish our family from any other family that make our family unique, make us who we are. Now let's be reminded that Paul's writing this letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians, to the church at Corinth because he has heard that they've reverted back to living the way they used to live, which is a way they ought not live. I know how to solve this problem. So, The, uh, there we are. Okay. So they started reverting back to living the way they used to live, which is a way that is not representative of the core values of their father. Now let's look at what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality that is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For indeed, as absent in the body but present in the spirit, I am, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover has, has sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven or malice of wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, this morning is one of those reminders of why we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. Because... If we didn't do that, I would never choose to preach on this verse, on this section. Never. You know, and if you're here this morning for the very first time, whew, hope you come back. You see, remember the church that Paul's writing to is located in Corinth. It's the ancient Las Vegas or Bangkok of, you know, uh, uh, time past. This is the, the epitome of 
Sin City. It's a city built around the temple of Aphrodite. Every night, a thousand temple prostitutes descend from the temple and come down into the city. It's the epicenter of sexual immorality in the ancient world. They were notorious across the known world for being people of debauchery. So the reality that somebody in this church would be sexually immoral shouldn't be a big surprise. I mean, the fact that someone in Corinth, listen, all of these people came out of this culture. I mean, the church is made up with people from Corinth. In fact, it's a church just like this church. It's made up of people just like us. Sinners. And you know what sinners do? Sin. So there's never been a church that didn't have to deal with the problem of sexual immorality. But what's shocking to Paul is the nature of the sexual immorality and the attitude towards it. See, Paul says not even the Gentiles would tolerate this. That this behavior is taboo on the Vegas Strip. See, he says it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and such as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. So what is going on here is there's not a one-time but an ongoing relationship between a man and his stepmom. That's what's going on. And in the church, and people know about it. Think about this. And not only do they know about it, they tolerate it. And not only do they tolerate it, they're proud. Look at verse 2. And you're puffed up. You're proud. And have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. Now, so they're proud. They're boasting. But what are they boasting in? A lot of people get confused about this passage right here. They're not boasting in the fact that this person is doing this because Paul already says this is something that's frowned upon even by pagans. So it wouldn't be something that they would boast in because it was embarrassing to everyone. It was, this relationship would have been illegal under Roman law, which anything was legal, but that was illegal. No, what Paul means here by their boasting is that this is going on among them. They know about it. And they're boasting in themselves. They think they're doing great. They think everything's fine. They think everything's wonderful. They're boasting in how good they're doing as a church. You see, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, look, I know we got a couple people, you know, that are sort of whacked out among us. There's some, you know, we got this one guy who's really, but, but we're doing great as a church overall. You know, and our gifts are, 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 are really growing and we're just doing great and we're just going forward. And that's what's going on. They're just acting like they're great. Everything's fine. You see, the problem is they have a dad. Just like we have a dad. 
And he's not a passive father. And he's laid out distinct core values for all of his adopted children to abide by. And if you think for one second he's just going to go, well, that's okay. That's not going to happen. If you skip down to verse 11, or this will come up on the screen. Here's verse 11, same passage. It is actually reported. Let me get to 11. Here we go. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. You see, the father is very serious about this. He's not... He's not putting things forward for debate. Remember that what a, a, a family behaves in such a way and has a nature such that it is a reflection of the father who leads the family. See, a few months ago when we were in Corinthians, I told you that in Christ, if you know who you are, you will live like whose you are. Remember that? You see, every good parent has had to say to their kids before, hey, that's not the way we behave in this family. I don't know what you think you're doing. I mean, you might have seen that on TV. You might have friends who do that at their house. But you don't do that in this family. See, every good parent has said that. Listen. That's not the way we do things, a good dad says. And it's not up for debate. We're not going to vote on it. We're not going to, it's just the way it is. And if you don't want to be a part of this family, that's your decision. But if you decide to be a part of this family, you will submit to authority. That's how it works in a healthy family. Because that's who we are as a family. Anything less than that. Listen, some of you, I know, some of you are still broken. And you, you, you grew up in a lot of brokenness like me. And you're not healed from that. And you pull back from that. But listen to me. Anything less than that is disingenuous and fraudulent because it's not true. It's not who you are as a family. Think about it. First Peter chapter 2, the Bible says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, let's just look at this for a second. See, you were chosen. You didn't find a father. The father found you. You see, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yes, and you're a holy nation. Do you see that? See, a lot of people get confused about this. They think that being a being holy means, hey, you, is, is you need to shape up. You need to act holy. Holiness is not primarily about behavior. 
That's to misunderstand holiness. The word holy means to be set apart. That's what the word holy means. To be holy means you've been set apart to be my distinct people. What I'm telling you is this is who you are as a family. That's what the Father's saying. And any behavior contrary to this or any attempt to adjust or alter this is fraudulent, is to behave or act in a way in which you're not. It's to try to pretend to be something you are not. You see, listen. You're not holy because of your behavior. You're holy because of my love for you. That's what the Father's saying. That's what makes you holy. Now, once you're adopted into the family, that's an irrevocable transition. Regardless of behavior. Do you understand that? So you are something. It's the Father's job to see that you know who you are and that you behave according to who you are. That's the Father's duty. You understand? It, and so you won't like it if you rebel against it. But you will love it if you embrace it. See, he's saying, my adopting you makes you holy. So you're now set apart. So act like it. See, godly behavior is a consequence of being holy. Do you understand that? Godly behavior doesn't make you holy. It's a consequence of understanding and knowing that you are. So this is why people get so bent. They just don't understand. When the Bible, let's look at verse 5. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see? You see, if... If you think that the fathering of God is so bad, well, let them see what it's like to be a part of another family. To be parented by a different kind of father. One who doesn't have any compassion or core values. One who's not focused and centered upon your best interests. You see... This brings to light this reality that to be part of a church is not a casual association, but it's a matter of life and death. It's so crazy to imagine what the Bible is saying here compared to the way our world views all of this. I don't think there has ever been a culture that sees church as more of a casual association than the one we live in now. But you see, that doesn't change the reality of what is. It doesn't alter the heart of the Father one bit. You see? 
He's saying it's a matter of life and death. Now, to understand this, you have to understand that God's given shepherds to guard your souls. That's what he has done. And it would be foolish on the part of a sheep to think you can live in a world full of wolves without protection. Foolish. It's the job of the pastor and the elders to watch over the flock, to watch over the sheep, to shepherd the family. Look at what the Bible... uh, Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is a popular verse. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, here's the paraphrase of that verse. Tony's paraphrase. I've given pastors an incredibly difficult and scary job. You better not make it any harder than it has to be. That's what God's saying. You see, he says, not with groaning. You know, there are people that make the shepherd groan. You know that? Yes. I groan when sheep live as if God isn't serious about what he says. I do groan when unhealthy people say hurtful things and create division. Yeah. But I groan more when you listen to them. I groan when sheep only see their little patch of the pasture. Failing to understand how everything that happens in the field affects the flock. I groan when I see lazy sheep. I groan when I see greedy sheep. I groan when I see grumpy sheep. But the Bible says that there are some who bring joy. You know what fills your shepherd's heart with joy? When he sees sheep grow... When sheep serve, when sheep give, nothing makes the shepherd happier than sheep who love being a part of the flock and are always looking for ways to invite others in. Sheep that put the good of the flock over themselves bring joy to the shepherd. They bring joy to the shepherd. Thank God for you in this room who do that. Now, if if church is a matter of life and death, then we need to stop for one second. And I need to talk for just a moment to parents. 
Moms and dads, listen. There's nothing more important that you can instill in your children than a deep love for the church of Jesus Christ. Because listen, listen. Time passes swiftly. They will not be with you forever. And when they leave you and they go out on their own, the only hope they have of making it in a dark world full of wolves is to be part of a flock that has a shepherd. And so what you need to do is you need to instill a love for the church. And you know what I know? Kids most often love what their parents love. And when they grow up, your love for sports will do nothing for them. Raise children to love the church. You see, look at verse 7. Therefore, purge out old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. Now, this talk about leaven, yeast. In other words, you would take a piece of bread and set it to the side, dough, and set it to the side, and it would ferment. And then when you made new dough, you would take that dough and mix it in there, and then it would, it would mix in with all the other dough and cause the dough to rise. I mean, I don't know a lot about baking it, but I know a whole lot about eating it. That's what I know. But whenever you encounter leaven in the Bible, just understand that it represents something very small that has great power to multiply or spread. See, sometimes it's used in a uh, negative context like this to illustrate sin. Sometimes it's used as a posit- in a positive context, but it's always meant to show you something small that has Huge potential to spread and permeate whatever environment it's put into. And so here, Paul uses it to represent sin. And you see, what Paul is concerned about is the response to sin or lack thereof. He's more concerned about that than the sin itself. Now, how do I know that? You see, Paul's primary problem is not with the individual that is involved with the stepmom. How do we know that? Because this is not addressing him. This is addressing everyone. You've got to understand, this is how healthy families function. The whole always trumps the individual. Paul's writing to the whole church, not just to the guilty man. His concern is what's good for the flock. You see? You see, if there's a sheep that's sick and can infect other sheep, you don't leave that sheep out there in the middle of the flock infecting everybody else. This is the leaven illustration. No, what you do is you... 
hate to use the word, quarantine. You got to remove the sick sheep. Purge out the old leaven. See, look again at verse 7. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened. What? See, Paul's saying leaven here symbolizes what again? Sin. Sin. And the capacity sin has to spread wherever the environment that it is. So you have to remove it from among you because you are already unleavened. Just bask in the moment of who Paul is saying this to. You understand the gravity of this statement? You really are. He's saying unleavened. You've already been purged of sin. That's what's true about you. The behavior doesn't change what is. And it's a responsibility of a family to hold true to what is. You see? Because if you don't hold true to what is, then anything goes. Listen, every, all those children that I described in the beginning of this service who are hitting their parents and, and you know, have no respect for authority and don't care what the law is. Listen, those parents had children. And, and most of them in that, in that moment, their parents intended to, didn't, their, their intention was not to raise a criminal. It was to raise a child. They wanted good things for their child, but it didn't work out. Why? Because they didn't have the courage to hold true to their conviction. You see, if you change course along the way, it's a disaster. You can't just go with the tide. You can't just decide something based on how you feel in the moment. There has to be some set of values that guide the family. And the father of this family says, here's the values. They're not up for debate. This is who we are. It's our responsibility as a family to live who we are. Because that's what's good for the flock. That's what keeps us healthy. That's what protects us. That's God's design. Don't you see? Put away the sin in your midst. Because your father's already put away your sin. Be the unleavened church that you already are. You see, the call of our dad is to be who he's made us to be. (coughs) 
how? How is that possible? How can that be? What, what possibly makes this reality true? And, and what I believe to be one of the most astonishing statements in all of Scripture. is the indicative that ends verse 7. And the Bible says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Now think with me for a second. It seems a bit out of context, doesn't it? Here we are talking about A church in Corinth, a church made up of pagans, pagan idolaters, pagan... These people were so far from God, it was unbelievable. Just like me. Just like me. And what the Bible does is the Bible brings those people so far separated away from where all this began, and he brings those people right back and grafts them right into the story from the very beginning. He takes people like me who wasn't born into something, who didn't have some favor upon me, didn't have some... No. And he grafts us right into the story of the Passover. When God freed his people. And he said the death angel is going to pass over. And everybody who's in my family put blood over the doorpost. And if you put blood over the doorpost, then when the death angel passes over, you'll be protected. God's saying to us this morning, brothers and sisters, family members, the blood of the lamb is over the doorposts of this house. Do you understand that? That's what he's saying. He's saying God has appointed protection for all those who are in the household that are his. He's a father. You can't just sing about it. You can't just talk about it. It's real. He's really a father. And he really protects his children. And he's made provision. And he said, listen... The blood of the Lamb is over the doorposts of your house. It's over the doorposts of your life. And you're protected. We have the blood of His Son on the doorposts of our life. That's who we are. We are unleavened. So it's not okay to behave in a way that's counter 
to the core value of who we are. It's not okay. And so you see, when the Bible comes along and says, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Purge yourself. Don't even eat with such a one. Does it, why, do, why does it make you feel judgmental or harsh or condemning? Why? People say, oh, how unloving. How intolerant. How judgmental. And I say to them, listen to me. I grew up in that house. And there's no way in hell I'm going back. It's not happening. I know where everything goes gets you. I know where just pretend it's not happening gets you. I know where, well, everybody's just going to figure it out in time gets you. I know where that gets you. I know the misery and the pain that that brings. And so does my father. And so does yours. And so if you know what I know, then you know that when he says turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that's love. I love you way too much to let you be. I love you way too much to allow you to destroy yourself. I love you way too much to deceive yourself. It's our responsibility as children in the family to understand what kind of dad we have and to appreciate it and to be grateful for it. To know that It's not beyond the goodness of God to let you taste the consequences of your rebellion so that you'll come home. You see? So that you'll come home. So understand As we move from here into the second half of this next week, we'll be celebrating baptism. But I need you to understand something as you go to community group today. Not everyone who sits in here on Sunday morning is part of this flock.
Do you understand that? There's a distinct group of people that are part of the flock. Those are the people, and only those people are the ones I'll give account for. Now, everybody that sits in here on Sunday morning matters. And everybody who sits in here on Sunday morning, God loves. And He wants us to love, and He wants us to encourage. But He wants us to understand that if you're part of the flock, then you abide by what our dad says. Because that's who we are as a family. And we are living in a daily reality of what happens when you let the family go awry. So we can't let that happen. There's blood over the doorposts of our life. 